Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of FireDev, a fireside chat with people in the industry. Today my guest is Andrzej Mazur. Andrzej, Hello. how are you doing? Hi, uh, I'm good, thanks. So Andrzej, you know, we met over the JS13K Games you know, competition. First of all, do you want to tell the audience what JS13K is? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, so um, it's an online competition happening yearly since 2012. Um, so we already had 12 editions. So that's quite uh, old <laughs> to say. Um, but yeah, it, it's, a com- it's a specific competition in which you have to build the game in 13 kilobytes zipped package. Uh, so that's quite a challenge, but it, it seems people like the idea from the start. So it, uh, it, it got pretty interesting for, for some folks uh, since the very beginning already. Um, so yeah, you have a whole month to create a game within those limitations. There's a theme announced at the start, uh, which is August 13th. And then you have a whole month till September 13th to build a game in 13 kilobytes. Uh, that's that's the challenge that people can take. There are a bunch of prizes. Uh, there are experts providing feedback. And there's a lovely community of folks who want to help you. So um, that, that that's something I really love about the competition is that although it is a competition and you participate to win prizes, uh there are people who want to help each other and they do every single year okay and you know first of all why 13k obviously you know i understand the concept of keeping it lean but why 13k specifically and not 12k or you know 16k or 8k uh so this is the first first the very first question and answer in the fuck on the website uh y13 and the the short answer is why not <laughs> uh, but there is the longer answer um reaching out to around 2010 ish um when there was js1k so you build uh, something in JavaScript in one kilobyte. Um, so I was thinking, okay, so you can actually try to build something that makes sense and is kind of a game in one kilobyte, but that's a little bit very limited. That's, that, that, yeah, that, that, that's that's uh, that's not uh, a lot to build something that you can truly call a game. So I was thinking about something bigger, and um, at the same time there were a few. So I was a front-end developer. So there was uh, a few front-end developer competitions, one or two. Uh, there was a list apart, uh, building a website in 10 kilobytes. Uh, and there was another one also 10 kilobytes. So it's like, okay, so 10 kilobytes makes sense. Uh, and uh, so the 10 kilobytes for the website was <clears throat> the size of the zip. So I was like, okay, so 10 kilobytes makes sense, uh, but it will be like yet another 10 kilobytes something. So I was like, okay, so maybe a little bit different. And then I was like, okay, so maybe 13. And it was like totally random. And I was like, okay, so 
why not? 13 makes sense. And immediately started thinking about, okay, so 13 is uh, associated with bad luck. So we actually had bad luck as a theme of the very first competition in 2012. Uh, the competition started uh, uh, August 13th and ended uh, September 13th. So it, it caught up really fast and it went from there and people, I seen people really liked it. So um, it was kind of random, but uh, it, it, it got um, interesting uh, pretty fast. And obviously, you know, it's stuck now. So, so being a developer yourself, when you was, you know, figuring out, you know, you know, because you saw, you, you saw somebody else doing like a 1K one, you finally settled on 13K. Did you try and actually make some games yourself and see, okay, is this actually practical within 13K or 10K, for example? And then say, okay, this is roughly, you know, you know, feasible. Uh, that, that, that's quite funny because I never actually participated in my own competition. So it, it wasn't... So um, I wanted to organize something because there was there was no HIO. There was no uh, having like, I don't know, 20 or, 20 or 30 or 100 jumps happening at the same time. There was literally almost nothing um in 2012 around web games so i wanted to organize something and we were kind of postponing the start uh, thinking whether we should do it or not when it should start etc and at some point it was like okay it's either now or never uh, and we literally built the, the designed. My wife is a graphic designer. She designed the the first um, look of the website, and I coded it and we launched it in literally forty eight hours. So it was a proof of concept, and we wanted to see. Like in theory, <clears throat> thirteen kilobytes made sense. So. Um, Back then, I was building games with um, Impact JS game engine. Um, next year, uh, Phaser uh, started, uh, so I was more of a um, using game framework slash engine uh, type of developer. But this made sense, so I was like, "Let's just launch it and see what happens." So it wasn't uh, we didn't make made a, a huge research. It was like. Let's see what happens. Let's just launch it. Uh, it, it. It started. It attracted sixty-one entries after the first edition, which I thought was a big success because it was like, I don't know, it was announced few weeks before the actual start, uh, and it was shared in few places that I was active. So um, I think it. It was already for me. It was already a big success. Uh, the first year and the confirmation that uh, yeah, it makes sense. You can build the games. We had great uh, entries in the first year. Uh, when I was reviewing some of the games, um, I was supposed to check if they work and then accept them. But I I, I keep uh, playing the games and I spent like two or three game uh, hours playing um, the game that actually won. Uh, the first edition so it was amazing to see to see this confirmation that it's possible it's it's doable and and people can build really great uh, games within the size limit 
Okay. And, you know, have you ever, because as things have advanced, you know, since or over a decade ago with, you know, technical capabilities, all the different platforms that have come available, but also, you know, what gamers expect. I know it's a competition, but ultimately gamers are still playing it and they have different standards. Have you ever thought about increasing the limit from 13K or maybe having a second competition, maybe a 128K one? Where you know they have a you know they can do a lot more with it. Um, <clears throat> so w- we did have some discussions like w- with a community ar- uh, around it, uh, but it, it was like so we do have participants who are called uh, code golfers, which focus on squeezing a lot into. Uh, the limitation. Uh, that's why many JS 13K games participants also participated in JS 1K. Um, so, but I guess the, the the more people would be into having uh, an extra category or something with 1.3 kilobyte zip package than. Uh, 130 or something like that. Uh, we did joke that um, with the 10th edition that we already had, uh, it, it, it would be funny to have the size limitation uh, made times 10. Um, but ultimately, we stick to the 13 kilobytes. Um, many, like, it's a specific competition. It's a specific requirement. If you participate for many years, you somehow start to feel what you can squeeze into the zip and you, what you can't. Um, so, and I think like over the years, um, you could build a lot more with uh, inside the browser, and. Um, there was even like in the rules we had the um, people were asking if they can use this, if they can use that, if you can use WebGL, and it was like I don't know, ten, eight years ago or something like that. I don't even remember, but we had this um, question and answer: Can I use WebGL? And the answer was, Well, actually, you can, but it's really extremely difficult to have even like a boilerplate for WebGL. Uh, to do something 3D in 13 kilobytes, not to mention to, to building an FPS game, uh, first-person shooter. So, uh, and it was kind of a joke to a point that people started building fully 3D first-person shooters and uh, to a point that I actually started linking to... Um, to some of the entries saying that, oh, actually you can uh, build something like this. Uh, And we actually had a Quake clone uh, two or three years ago, which was like, you know, of course, within the size limitation, but it was like a game with like um, two or three levels, sounds, music, different types of enemies, different types of weapons, all that squeezed into 13 kilobytes. And um, looking at it over the years, I can see that uh, the browsers are getting faster, that the capabilities are better, the tools that people use to compress the code uh, are getting better and better. Uh, We had a tool called uh, Road Roller, which appeared like, I don't know, three or four years ago, which uh, shaved off one or two kilobytes from 
the entries that people said that, oh, that's everything I can do with my entry. I can squeeze more. I can't compress it more. And then comes this one person and makes this tool and there's uh, extra space for something. So actually the author of the, that Quake clone said that because of that tool, he was able to squeeze a, a big chunk of code to do something. I, I don't remember if it was like having a, a music, having music in the game, or like extra level, or something like that. But uh, um, not only the browsers are getting better over the years, but also the tools people use, the, the techniques they are using. So I think there's no need to increase the size because we kind of got used to it and it sounds nice. Uh, but it uh, like you can see over the years that the entries are getting better, better and better because uh, a few years ago we were laughing that the entry that ends up on 100th place now uh, would easily win the first competition in 2012. That's how the the the, the progress uh, was made. Okay, and you know, how many? Because you said 61 people participated in the first one, which is you know a huge success. You know, for a first competition, not having done anything like it before, and you know, like you said, just posted about it a few weeks before you know it went uh, you know live. How many, you know, participants do you have nowadays? Because you, you know, you've just ran a competition a few months ago. How many did you have in that one? Um, so recently we had about one hundred sixty. Um, that's not the the maximum number. Um, I think it was around two thousand eighteen or nineteen that we had almost three hundred. Um, so uh, this is this is a bit lower right now, but people in general were saying that uh, they have to worry more about like finding a job or struggling with something. So um, it's not that easy to to actually have time and participate. Uh, but I think it's 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 still a strong community. It's still 160 entries because people knew about the competition or, or they learned about it because um, organizing this takes a lot of time. So I don't have more time to actually advertise it. So if you know, you know. If someone will tell you, you will know. If you don't know about it, you won't learn about it from some adverts or or or, um, or promotional campaigns because. Um, I literally don't have time for this, but um, learning about it from other participants and they, um, those people inviting other folks, that's the, the best that can happen to this competition because it's like um, really friendly <laughs> competition in a way that we do have people participating for so many years every single year um, to a point that um, some people have um, in their Twitter bio, they have uh, game developer uh, once a year or one month a year or something like that and focusing only on this because they don't have time for, for anything else or uh, people literally taking um, vacations from work 
to focus on participating in the competition, taking two weeks vacation, four weeks vacation to to go somewhere, then return and then participate in, in the competition. So that's 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 really impressive. Uh, I'm I'm really impressed by uh, by that dedication because people really enjoy, really like participating, not even for winning the prizes, um, but like participating, be able to not worry about writing good code but the code that works which sometimes could be uh, totally different uh, plus we also have um, t-shirts um, every single year we are sending uh, different design uh, differently designed t-shirt um, to 100 uh, top entries uh, so people are like yeah if i end up in top 100 and get a t-shirt that's perfectly fine uh, and um, plus they build something then they can um, continue building on whatever they submitted as an entry uh, make post-competition version release the full game if uh, it got enough attention we had uh, many uh, games being released afterwards uh, and sold on steam uh, or, or on mobile markets that originated from uh, an entry in the competition. Okay, so you know what's been the most successful games that have you know, like you said, gone on beyond the competition, been developed into something full fledged and released on something like Steam. What would be like, let's say, the notable free, and what platforms are they available on? Um. So we have a, a bunch. Um, I remember the first one uh, were Evil Glitch and Glitch Buster, which were on the same uh, year uh, when the, <laughs> the Vim Glitch <laughs> was um, introduced. I think it was 2015-ish, um, maybe a year earlier, uh, maybe that year. Uh, so they both, it was, uh, those were the games that ended up the, on the first and second place uh, overall. And they both uh, got released on Steam. So you could actually buy them there. Um, so it, it, it was really awesome to see. Um, but like even recently, um, there was a game that uh, originated in 2018 but the developer actually built it uh, and released this year. Um, forgot the name, but but can uh, share that uh, later on. Um, and I think the, that Quake clone, it was uh, Quake, but Q1K3. So it's like 13 uh, inside the, the Quake name. Uh, funnily enough, the, the author um, didn't care about the theme, so they didn't even win the competition. It, it ended up uh, ended um, like I don't know, tenth or fifteenth place. Uh, but it was released, I think, two years ago or so. Uh, but it got people excited like they were really impressed by the fact that this is this looks like a full game uh, and it fits into 13 kilobytes like small screenshots were 10 times bigger than the game itself 
Um, it, it wasn't released anywhere, but uh, it got pretty popular back then. And even like the, the Quake communities were picking it up and, and playing and commenting on it. Uh, so it, re- it was really awesome um, to see. And another fun fact is that the author of that Quake clone game is the author of the Impact JS game engine I was using back in 2010 to 2012. Uh, so it's amazing to see people you admire, people you use their tools, and they just come in and participate. And um, at some point, um, we had Notch, the author of Minecraft, participate in JS13K. Unfortunately, he didn't submit, but we still have um, some tweets from him uh, saying that he works on an entry, uh, sharing some progress. Uh, so it would be really awesome to, to find that code he wrote those many years ago. Um, ultimately, he didn't submit, but uh, it's amazing to see People I, I admire personally, um, they just come by and say, hey, it's an awesome competition. I'm participating. So it, it's really great to see. Okay. So yeah, that is really interesting to have, you know, Notch, you know, participate. Do you know why he chose not to submit? And when was that again? Like uh, in what period of time relative to Minecraft and like the Microsoft purchase? You know, when was that? Um... I would actually have to check that. Um, it was definitely a few years ago, closer to 2015 than 2020. Um, I think, uh, from what I understood, because we we talked a bit, um, he was just busy and just didn't have time to actually finish because we had a strict deadline. You had to submit before September 13th. And so he got some uh, time, few days early on in the in the competition, in that edition, uh, to to work on something. But then he was he had to uh, travel somewhere, was busy with some um, events, uh, so he didn't actually was wasn't able to to finish that entry. Okay, I mean, did you ever reach out to him and you know? try and get the code off him or ask if he would you know participate in a future uh, you want um so i i think i asked once and in in general he uh, he follows the competition he knows about it he really enjoyed the concept would like to participate but um i felt that um well, one thing he mentioned is that if he would submit an entry, the competition would get a lot of attention. It, that could be good. That could be bad. The, he have a huge following. Uh, sometimes there are people who are not very positive in uh, responding to your activities. So... I felt that he don't want to burden uh, the competition with his at- with attention from people that follow him, um, which I accepted. I mean, it's it's his choice. It would be nice to to have him 
submit something, but I do understand uh, it's not all unicorns and rainbows over the internet. So, uh, yeah. Okay, so, you know, you've briefly touched on prizes. So what are the prizes for people that, you know, enter the competition? So we do have a whole bunch of different licenses, accounts. Uh, so so in general, the, the prizes are um, about web game development. Um, in the first years, I was trying to get some books, but then shipping a book myself was more expensive than actually just giving people money so they could buy them the, <laughs> themselves or like offering tickets to events uh, which would happen on the other side of the globe uh, was difficult. So at some point we decided that, okay, we will focus on the digital prizes. So it's like you can win um, a one-year Play Canvas account. You can win a Phaser Editor license for lifetime. You can win a lot of things. You can uh, um, win ebooks, accounts, some licenses from for uh, graphic editors uh, you can actually win games uh, licenses for games that were built as web games and released on various marketplaces so those are not uh, like we also had uh, glitch buster and um, evil glitch as prizes of course um, and we had that recent game that was released that was based on 2018 entry. But we also had a lot of games. Like I think 100% of all the games that we offered as prizes were built using web technologies and then packaged and released on, on Steam, on uh, mobile marketplaces. Uh, so it's a way to promote those developers as well. Um, so... Those usually, usually those are, are all um, digital prizes, and we also have what I already mentioned: the T-shirts uh, and various gadgets. So every single year, we have a different uh, design on on a T-shirt, um, which we are sending to top one hundred entries, um, along with uh, those gadgets, which are like random things: uh, keychains, bottle openers, pens. Uh, stickers, patches, uh, whatnot, uh, plus the, the usual batch of uh, stickers of our own. Um, so it, it, it's it's interesting to to see that uh, people participate for those prizes, for those digital prizes, uh, but they also are interested in ending in top one hundred to actually get that physical package sent to them directly and they can get the t-shirt and wear it uh, and we collect uh, pictures of people taking selfies with those t-shirts all around the world every year um, and it's awesome to see that what we do uh, is promoted uh, by participants they wear it proudly and um, it, it's really awesome to see it uh let's say in the wild <laughs> okay and you know you know you're providing a lot of these digital prizes and is that something that you know you pay for yourself or do you have 
like partnerships and you know those different you know software developers they give like a license for free for you know the winners so um in general i'm usually reaching out to the authors of those tools or um owners of those things that we want as prizes and like almost every single case is like yeah i can give some for free so it's like uh the collecting prizes is relatively easy especially if it's like after a few years it's literally me sending an email hey it's me again it's the, the next edition they're like oh time flies here's another 10 codes for something and um so it's 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 great to <clears throat> collect uh like 20 something different types of prizes uh, so we can really nicely distribute those to the overall winners, to the mobile category, the challenges we usually have, etc., uh, etc. Et so, uh, like the winner of the competition will get like ten or fifteen di different things, different licenses or different accounts uh, they can use, um, and authors of those prizes generally are happily giving those uh, for free as prizes uh, since they are listed on the website and they also get uh, promo promotion that they also get the, the promo of being there being part of this community okay and you know as a developer yourself do you still do any you know coding do you you know make any games still and you know like what do you do as your main job like you know to make money like is it based around the competition with ads etc or do you do something else in the competition is that solid um so i'm still calling myself a game developer since we do release games uh, Enclave Games is again me and my wife, um, but we make hyper casual games which you can build in like a month or maybe two months. And in the past, I don't know, ten or fifteen years, we've released ten of them. <laughs> so it, it's definitely not a full time job. Um, I love to code. Uh, I don't feel like an expert in in uh, writing code, but I enjoy it. Uh, let's say I write good enough code that you can finish something and release it. Um, and would like to do more of that. Uh, but last game we've released was 2020. Uh, so it's been some time uh, since then. Uh, because um, I have to admit that JS Titan Game Games competition is my passion and I really want to expand on it, grow, uh, and um, the community around it is so awesome that um, I'm basically focusing on the on that competition. And usually, it takes about few months, up to like six months a year, every year, to do everything around it because it's mostly me. Um, so. Plus, there is the second uh, competition, the Game Dev JS Jam, that started in 2020, which is more open without any size limitation. 
so it seems my full-time job right now is <laughs> organizing competitions, uh, especially JS13K, but also the, the other thing, uh, plus all the activities that kind of don't bring any revenue, uh, like sending the Game Dev JS weekly newsletter, uh, and other things, some some meetups, some workshops, etc., uh, etc. Et so I still have this background. I still have this passion to to build some games. I hope I will have time to sit and code something and and release uh, another game soon. Uh, but I would say my full time job right now is organizing JS thirteen K. Okay, and these games, you know, that you've made and that you know you do continue to make. What sort of platforms do you release them on? Online or Android, iOS, itch? So they are purely web games, uh, and I specifically don't want to touch uh, native marketplaces because, um, like all the benefits of releasing a web game. Um, are gone on the native marketplaces and you're competing with native developers. Uh, while I think the web games have uh, their beauty, the, the, the distribution platform of, of just sending a URL and being able to just play it instantly for free um, is something that uh, we should remember about. So Basically, all our games that we have released so far are hyper-casual, small, cute games that you can play anytime and anywhere. Uh, They are available for free on our website without any adverts. Um, And the way we earn money on that is um, selling licenses to portals. Uh, where the games will be played by millions of players and then we will add advertisements or in-app purchases or uh, other ways of um, monetizing those. Uh, But that's uh, basically work with publishers on on their portals. Uh, While the the games themselves are free on our website uh, and, as I mentioned, could be played anywhere, anytime. So, you know, you're obviously an indie developer yourself. You know, you make games, you run the competition and a few other things as well. Uh, you know, you know, a freelancer, self-employed of sorts. Have you ever thought about just going and getting a nine-to-five and working for a company, even a games company, and, you know, working on bigger projects? Well, actually, I did. Uh, for, like, many years, I was one- working as a front-end developer or JavaScript programmer in many uh, companies, usually big corporations. Um, it was an interesting job. Uh, it was cozy. It paid well. Uh, but all the time I was thinking about making my own games, seeing if you can earn money off of web games, uh, seeing if if things that I could uh, come up with will be interesting for other people, trying to convince them that building web games is fun, even if it was difficult back then. Uh, so I worked as a as a front end developer for many years, and around around 2012, 2012, um, I decided to um, explore going full time with um, web games. 
uh, and it's it's the time when our local meetups started, um, the competition, Enclave Games, um, releasing games. So um, I had that cozy full time nine to five job, and um, I wanted to change something. I wanted to see <clears throat> what are the other options, um, and I can say that. It was difficult, but uh, of course it's not for everyone. But it's interesting to see that you can have uh, full freedom in what you are doing. Of course, that that's that uh, that could be difficult at times because if you don't don't do anything, you won't earn anything. Um, but it's 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 interesting to be able to explore that and um, work on your own thing or things and uh, see if that makes sense. You can do it like in the evenings before quitting your uh, full time job, and if it's not interesting enough, you can just don't do that step or you can try if it seems good enough for you so it's it's up to anyone uh, to decide but uh, i did have that full-time job in a corporation thing for for a few years and decided to go on my own it it wasn't for you sorry so that corporate life you know wasn't for you Basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was cozy, but I, I, well, I don't want it to sound big, but I wanted something more and something different, um, and I just wanted to explore other options. I knew that back then, two thousand twelve ish, there wasn't much uh, around web games, uh, and I really liked the concept of being on cutting edge of the technology and back then building game web games was really difficult audio was not working at all there were many performance issues it was difficult but it was exciting and i wanted to try that and see if i can have fun building what i want and earn enough money to pay for my bills um which at some point um uh, was good enough to to cover the costs. Uh, so yeah, if if someone wants a, a cozy job sitting in a corporation, that's perfectly fine. I know people who like that security, and uh, I'm totally fine with it. Uh, I'm not saying I can say again that quitting your job and going full time indie game developer that's risky. And uh, many times it won't work, but if it does work, it's it's really like totally different experience, and you can basically do whatever you want. You can focus on whatever you want, of course, in a reasonable af- approach, I would say. But um, you should at least try and see if if this makes sense, and if not, that's that's okay. But um, yeah, I, I think it. Like, um, for me, this works nice. Uh, I think I, I built all, uh, many projects that um, folks enjoy. It wouldn't happen if I stayed at my job. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, of course. You're like one, you get busy with your job. Two, there's almost it depends on the corporation, but there's almost the thing like you can't do too much of your own stuff. Like sometimes corporations don't like that, especially if there might be a bit of overlap as well. Even though you know you might not hurt, you know their bottom line they can be really, really, you know, fussy about that sort of stuff, you know, when you're doing your own. I remember years ago, I went for an interview for a job, and, you know, the, because I've been doing you know, various stuff from, you know, games, websites, that sort of stuff, and he was, you know, online, and I remember the interviewer saying, at our job, we, we at our company, we make uh, our employees sign a contract stating they won't do their own stuff because we want them to be, fr- m- have their mind fresh, to do the code at our company and you can't do your own projects. And I was like, they wasn't even talking about conflict of interest. They were saying you can't do your own projects. And I was like, that's just crazy. If anything, it would help because it would refine your skills, you know, as a developer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's definitely weird. Um, I remember like, Nobody will tell me what I can or I mean, of course, within nine to five, when I sit at the work computer, there are ways in which you can the 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 you can the company can try to control you. But even in corporations, it should be more about trust and more about like actually reaching goals, meeting and saying, okay, so by the next week you have to implement this feature. And if it takes me eight hours a day to finish that, okay. But if it takes one hour a day and the other seven, I'm improving because I'm watching online tutorials or building my own thing. And while doing that, I'm I'm learning more and I'm doing next features even faster that should be of no concern and like whatever i finished the we agreed on delivering the feature the feature is delivered so if i do something in one hour a day instead of eight it's because i learned to optimize this in the past 10 years and you are paying me for the result not for the hours uh and like you know the IT work is totally different from physical work. You can go to a physical work, clock in, spend eight hours, clock out, um, while um, crunching on difficult um, problems um, takes time and experience to to do it well. Um, So even in, in big corporations, of course, there should be some overseeing over developers or uh, employees in in general, but um, limiting like I I think it it you can grow as a developer and be better um, uh, employee if you have time for your own projects, and this shouldn't affect um, what you are doing. And as I said, if you agree on a specific thing to be delivered on time. Uh, you shouldn't worry about someone looking over your shoulder, shoulder and checking if uh, you're doing exactly that or if you're learning about it or if you're just relaxing and thinking about the ideas uh, that you would have to, to implement that. 
Oh, yeah, of course. Like you've got to have that balance, you know, as you know, as a manager or a company overseeing employees. Obviously, you know, you can have some, you know, constraints. You, you know, you want them, you know, to the to do the work, but then you need to be able to give that freedom, and then you need to be confident that you've hired the right people for the job you know culturally and technically speaking and also that you have the systems in place that they'll do the work but that you can just leave them to it and then just check in periodically whether that's like a stand-up like every day or every couple of days or whether that's you know an end of week meeting and the sprint planning or you know, whatever it is it, it, it requires that level of trust otherwise it's almost like you know why hide them why just not you know make it yourself if you're constantly just gonna be standing over them because you know some managers are like that like they're constantly messaging obviously now it's a lot of it's remote but they're constantly messaging you and it's like i can't even do the work yeah and it's really annoying like um some people need time to get into that uh, zone <laughs> that uh, okay now i'm focusing on fixing this or like um implementing something new and do not disturb i'm busy uh and i will focus on this i will finish what i need to do but i need um this next few hours and instead i i'm being bothered by hey let's have this quick call to catch up let's meet with other teams let's do this let's do that uh sometimes it it could be really annoying so um that level of trust is i think it's it's needed for people to focus on their job instead of like doing everything else around it oh yeah you know having the you know focus on that trust 100% key so you know you're clearly, you know, into, you know, the, you know, the gaming industry, you know, video games. What are some of your favorite video games to play? And do you play many games still, or do you mainly just make them? Um, so um, my all-time favorite is Fallout 2. Um, you can tell by, uh, by the Enclave Games Studio. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so this is the, um, the, the one that I have the, the most sentiment for, um, I do enjoy playing, um, RPGs. Uh, I'm a big fan of Witcher, specifically Witcher 3. Um, but, um, I'm, I'm recently, I'm playing Baldur's Gate 3 and I'm really, really, really enjoying it to a point that, uh, I'm realizing that sometimes i i mean working on your own you can do whatever you want so i could just play baldur's gate the whole day the time that i was supposed to work mm, so sometimes it's difficult to if you have to do it yourself and nobody is watching um you can get comfortable enough to to actually play the games instead of um instead of working uh so this this uh, yields for uh self constraint but um it, it's kind of important uh, i mean i i do try to play hyper casual games to know what's the current state of the market let's say uh but i don't care about it that much it's not like uh i mean i do know studios which will keep um, a close track to what's happening and when there is a new trend they are 
trying to develop and release games as fast as possible. Um, there was a Vampire Survivors game released, which was originally made in Phaser and was a web game, but then was released on Steam and had a huge success being a game on itself, no matter the technology it was built on. Uh, and there were so many clones released after that. So it like Vampire Survivors became a genre of games um, to a point that everyone wants to wanted to release their own Vampire Survivors clone. Um, but we, as Enclave Games in general, just want to have some fun building games. There's not much pressure on it. It would be nice to release something that uh, that other people will like on top of us liking that games. Um, but it's it's more about just you know um, building fun games and having fun at the same time. Uh, so yeah. I haven't played Baldur's Gate yet, but I, every person that I've heard talk about it, they have nothing but good things to say about it. It seems like it came out of nowhere this year. Like There were a lot of great contenders for Game of the Year, and then Alan Wake came. You know, A lot of people are loving Alan Wake 2. Then Baldur's Gate 3 came, and a lot of people are loving that as well. So I think the game in industry this year has had a lot of you know exciting titles you know to get your hand on all different titles as well yeah yeah i mean uh, if you followed the story of larian studios uh, like baldur's gate 3 was in early access for a year or for two years or even more um since i was playing baldur's gate 1 and 2 i was really anticipating the baldur's gate 3 and um, so, like, the whole story behind Larian Studios building the game is, like, uh, uh, even, like, a romantic story of how you're not you're not building games this way anymore. And it's, like, super risky. Uh, they put a lot of effort into making this uh, a great game. And uh, I'm happy to to hear that they are already starting to win the prizes for the best uh, game of the year awards. Um, and for me, there is like Fallout Two, Witcher Three, and I'm I'm in love with Baldur's Gate Three, and um, this is the best game I've played in at least few years, at least since Witcher Three. Uh, so I highly recommend this. Um, of course, it might not be uh, a type of game that you usually play, but um, it's it, it's still like I fell in love in it, uh, with it. It's it's so great uh, that I really have to um, limit my time playing it because it would be literally just playing day and night straight uh, <laughs> instead of working or sleeping or interacting with people um, so uh, I highly recommend it because it's it's beautifully made and the whole story behind it uh, that it was truly built with uh, fans in mind and making it as great as possible 
uh, deserves attention. Of course, there are other games even released this year, like uh, there's um, Super Mario Bros. Uh, Wonder, which I'm playing with my seven-year-old daughter, and we really enjoy the game. Uh, but it's just different types of different type of experience. So, what games are you looking forward to that that haven't even come out or that you haven't got around to playing? Um, so I'm I'm not. I mean, of, <laughs> you you can say that um, Grand Theft Auto Six, yeah, the <laughs> but trailer that's, came out. Yeah, literally today or yesterday. Yeah, so uh, but it's like 2025. <laughs> yeah, so still a lot of time. Uh, I would say so. I still have some titles to catch up. Um, in the past years, I was focusing more on either working or playing those hyper casuals. Uh, so I still haven't played uh, Cyberpunk 2077, which is a great game. Um, and uh, I've played uh, Red Dead Redemption, the, the first uh, one, but I haven't played the second one yet, uh, I which mean, was a I mean, few years ago. It's great. So, yeah, so it's 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 still high on my to do list. I I have to find the time. So I, I'm I'm looking at finding the time to actually play play those games. And the the thing is, I'm a completionist uh, in a way that uh, um, I'm trying to squeeze one hundred percent out of the game uh, if I'm playing it. So like all the maps, all the quests on which are three, um, every secret every quest everything possible and i'm doing exactly the same with uh, baldur's gate 3 and um i'm already after the first act and i was checking how much time usually it takes to to finish the first one even looking at everything and i almost doubled the number of hours because i can spend one or two hours just looking through the inventory and optimizing <laughs> the equipment so um and i really enjoy that so uh yeah okay i mean the you know that's really cool to hear I, it's cool to hear that you know Baldur's gate is one of those games that seems to you know have a lot of depth to it because some game you know you turn on there's not much to it you know you just get in there but you know having a game like that where there is a lot of depth you know is obviously great you know so what's your platform of choice to play pc console web <laughs> okay ignoring web because boulders gate you know as far as long where you can't play through a browser um i mean i so i did i mean so i'm using a mac for work and fortunately enough, Baldur's Gate 3 came uh, on a Mac, so I'm playing it there. <clears throat> uh, I had Xbox. Um, I tried some games on PlayStation. I did have a PC. Um, I'm considering buying PlayStation 5, uh, either the Slim or maybe uh, the regular one for the sake of catching up with uh, Cyberpunk or Red Dead Redemption. Um, but the Pro will probably be coming next year. So if if, yeah, if, if you but, haven't bought one yet, I'd say wait. Yeah, I mean, I'm considering Pro, but I'm thinking it could be 2025 with uh, GTA 6. Mm. Um, it's still, I mean, 
the I feel like it'll be next year before. Yeah, I mean it could be slim, but I'm not like running for it. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely gonna spend um, many hours with Baldur's Gate three on a Mac. Or laugh all you want. You can play games on a Mac and you can enjoy it. I'm doing exactly that. Uh, it's just convenient for me. It's uh, the the laptop that I use for work, and it's good enough. It it works great uh, for games. Uh, so I do play games on on a Mac uh, because that's the the laptop I'm using for work as well. What's your Mac of choice? Like, w- which MacBook do you have? So I have the twenty uh, the M1 Pro. I think, uh, from like uh, a year or two years ago. Maybe twenty twenty one. That one will be, and that's what fourteen or sixteen inch. Uh, fourteen, yeah. Fourteen inch, yeah, yeah. That came. Uh, I I do have the external um, monitor. Uh, I don't use it that much, um, but yeah, I mean. Um, I don't need high-end devices. I I switch my laptops every seven to eight years or so. Uh, I still have iPhone 7 Plus. <laughs> so um, I don't need uh, that much power. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so uh, finishing the, the, the topic about the console of choice, um, I have to say that I'm also using Nintendo Switch, uh, mostly with my daughter. Uh, I, I literally played Witcher 3 um, on Switch when it released there um, because of the, being able to play it either on a big TV or taking the, the console with me and, and playing anywhere. Um, but with my daughter, we play a lot of games uh, on the Switch, usually on the TV, and really enjoy that. So, uh, yeah, the, okay, the Switch cool. is something I can totally recommend. If you have uh, an offspring, then Switch, especially Mario games, are really, really lovely. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean... I think, you know, Switch is, you know, a great system, even if you don't have, you know, kids. And even if you're, you know, don't have a partner as well, I think it's a great system to enjoy a lot of games, especially handheld. Obviously, you've got systems like the Steam Deck, you know, that have come out now and, you know, that's a great alternative. And I, and we can talk about that in a second. But, yeah, this, the Switch, you know, yeah, I do love it. And my daughter, she's almost two years old, so she's not, you know, really playing games yet but i'm looking forward to that age where in in a year or two hopefully where she can play games pick up a controller properly and you know we can play mario you know together mario kart or super mario wonder or whatever the latest mario is at the time and you know just have some fun and the fact that you can take it with you so you can be on the train you can go on holiday you can have that with you you could take the dock with you and maybe you know dock it up to a tv but you don't have to you can put it on you know the bed or on a table and just have some controllers so i'm re- i am really looking forward to be out, being able to you know play that uh, i mean obviously the other you know thing is the switch pro you know or the switch 2 uh, the, the community is still waiting for and the pro i mean considering how long it's been since it came out 2017 so it's been six and a half years roughly i think next year we might see the next switch uh, so, 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm li- really looking forward forward to it, and um, yeah, this is this is really valuable time playing together with like two characters, uh, me and my daughter, uh, especially Mario games, and like spending that valuable time. Um, of course, we we have uh, a, a lot of uh, board games and other things, but uh, so this is only part of like all the activities we can have. But uh, we do really enjoy uh, playing games together, so uh, it's really great to to be able to play with her and see how much she enjoys that. Oh yeah, like see. Because again, my daughter's not playing games yet, but I've pl- I've handed her my switch or a controller or portal, and she presses a button on like the counter, like jumps up and down, or uh, you know, I was playing Jedi Survive, and she was pressing the attack button. She was just seeing the lightsaber spin, and it was sort of obviously all flashy lights to her, and just to see her, you know, happiness just doing that. I'm thinking, I can't wait till she's actually playing it. Because, you know, growing up, I used to love playing games. And now I don't get much time, you know, to play them, unfortunately. But I feel like when my kids are a little older, it'll be an excuse to, one, bond with them, spend time with them. But two, I can, you know, play more games again. Plus, you know, being able to play it from the perspective of, of a dad now and playing with them and seeing them develop and grow with it instead of me being the kid i think that'll be very interesting uh, yeah yeah i'm sure yeah. you've had that as well like how old are your kids uh so my daughter is seven and uh fun fact is she's already part of the company <laughs> <laughs> uh, we already put her in the credits of some of our games as a tester because we actually had um, we also made some games uh, um, that are suitable for kids, like specifically targeting kids in a way that uh, we had a memory game, like um, you're looking for the same pairs. And uh, so she was actually playing and testing that when she was, I don't know, three or four years old already. Uh, because she saw that we are building games and, and wanted to try them. And uh, it was so interesting to see her playing the game in a way that we wouldn't expect. So she was like the perfect tester. Uh, after the first few minutes, we already had a bunch of feedback. Uh, okay, so this is too small. This needs clarification. That needs something. So um, she literally helped with some of our games as a tester already. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty cool to you know have a you know involved. And sometimes you know with a kid, they all say things or pick up things that you might not, and you know that can be great when you're trying to make a game as accessible and as enjoyable as possible. Because obviously if you've been uh, you know, around for two or three decades playing games, making games, there'll be certain things that you just think, okay, that's obviously I've got to do that. That's obvious, you know, I've got to, you know, press that button. It might not be so obvious, you know, to her, but she'll ask the question. Yeah, if you're working on a game and you really focus on it, um, you will forget about some, like, 
you will focus on it too much, you will know it by heart. And that's usually the issue with uh, with the JS 13K games competition in which uh, people make games that are too hard because they don't have time to uh, have many people try them. So they build the games for themselves, for them who know how to play them. Uh, and then when I see random people not reading instructions and trying to play the games, it's 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 a pain to see um, sometimes how those games are too difficult uh, for regular participants. Oh yeah, you know for sure. I, I know over the years making games myself. When you're making it, and because by the time you get to uh, the level where the game is you know, almost finished or it's got a level of finish that it kind of resembles the final game. You've played it so much and that you understand it so much that most things you probably won't find difficult. I remember a a game that, uh, you know, I was, you know, making, I was, I was actually making it with two other guys and they themselves said, because I had been the main coder on it, and I had been the main, you know, tester on it. They themselves said, you know, one of the levels wasn't, you know, completable, and like they couldn't do it. To me, I could complete the whole game without dying. So I, for, for, I was thinking the game, the level's obviously completable. I can complete the whole game, you know, without dying. But you know, the watching them play it, I was like, okay, I understand that the level is a bit too difficult. I just know how the game works. I know how. You know, the physics of the game works as well because he was a Brick Breaker clone. I know how to, you know, if the balls go in there, I, I know where I should really put the paddle on how to basically not trick the game, but I know what's going to happen. And as a result, uh, when I was testing it, I was like, yeah, this is fine, even though it's clearly too difficult. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's why uh, we have a playtesting channel in, in the competition Slack. And although um, people would ask for like general feedback, uh, usually it's for uh, last minute uh, fixes of lowering the difficulty uh, because almost always the very first feedback is uh, the game is too hard or I have no idea what to do or uh, this is too complicated or there's too much text or the controls are too difficult or all the other things about uh, when when the developer knows what he's doing and, and he's too comfortable with his own game and um, he needs that extra pair of eyes to, to tell them that... Uh, those things are not obvious. You have to make this clear. You have to show this to, to the player. You have to explain some things. You have to make the pace a little bit slower to learn all the controls. And I think it's really, really important. And you can see from uh, the, the games that are winning, they are not that much different from the entries that are ending in like top 50. Uh, but that extra level of polish, extra level of uh, taking care of uh, someone who is new to the game uh, or someone who might not have the idea what to do, uh, 
uh, how to start. Uh, this is really important, and this this extra one percent, let's say, uh, really makes a difference and decide that uh, this game wins and the other is not. So you know, if somebody wants to get into game, you know, because you've been around game development at you know all the different stages. Uh, you know, inside, outside, testing a competition, making the game itself, you know, corporation, all that sort of stuff. Now, if you want to, if somebody wants to get into game development, they're listening to this podcast, they're interested in the JS13K competition, you know, what advice, you know, would you give to them, especially if they're in the early days of either coding or they haven't started coding yet, they like the idea of the JS13K and they want a career in, you know, games programming. What are your top tips? Uh, definitely make games. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I still remember someone um, asking a question, okay, so how do I become a game developer? And so the, the answer is make games. And it's not like someone will tell you that, oh, now you are a game developer because you made some games. Um, it's about if, if you build something if 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 you're working on something if you're only reading about it you are already a game developer because you you try to make games uh, i would say uh, try the tutorials try the materials look into the source code experiment and like improve i think it's the the most important thing is to just build games and and try to release them because you're learning the whole the whole process of uh, prototyping building the actual game releasing it trying to market it try to earn some money uh, if that's what you're um, into Um, and i think i learned more uh, from trying to release games quickly and then move to the next games instead of trying to release uh, a perfect game at the start because I literally traveled around the, around the world uh, with a presentation called How to Make a Simple Game uh, in Four Years in which <clears throat> uh, I rewrote the, the game seven times because I wanted it to be perfect. And it was obviously too big for me. Uh, And at some point, I just threw it away. I built uh, the the simplest game possible in which you fly in a spaceship, avoid asteroids, it's a side view. I even removed the ability to shoot. I removed everything possible. I only had power-ups because they were basically... Um, from the uh, programmer point of view, they, they were asteroids with uh, extra superpowers. Um, so it was easy to code. And it was it was so simple that I was ashamed that you can actually release something like that. But it was very early days and uh, people liked the game. Uh, it was a released game. It was a full product. And um i literally started um going to conferences telling people how to build web games having this one game as an example uh so um it, it's a matter of um 
trying to build something. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's just a matter of learning how to build games. You can uh, look for something uh, simple, some classics. You can build a breakout clone. You can build a Flappy Bird clone. You can build any clones you like. There will be plenty of materials um, on the web about how to do it. Um, and then with every game, with every release, uh, with every product, you will get better and better. And uh, I think that's that's the only reasonable way to go. You, like hiding in the basement for 10 years trying to build a perfect game uh, usually ends up with a really terrible game or like not even finishing it. Uh, that's why I think it's crucial. I, I learned it the hard way, but um, building those small games and releasing them, um, let's say, fast. And then even if I have some revolutionary idea, instead of implementing them in this current game, I'm finishing it, releasing it, and then trying to have that idea in the next game. And I'm learning, like, releasing games, finishing games, that's the crucial skill uh, that you should train. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be well-written. If you share the source code, it's not like people will praise the way you write your functions. As long as it works, it could be ugly. 99% of the code in the JS13 games competition is ugly because people just want to squeeze as much as possible. Um, the, the cool thing about the competition is that the source code of every single game of all the years, all of that is available on GitHub. That's the, the, one of the rules of the competition that you have to provide a readable source code. So. Whichever game you will choose, if you want to see the, the very first winner of the competition in 2012 uh, or the, the Quake clone or anything else, the, the sources are on GitHub. You can read them. You can check how things were built. Uh, you, could, you can take inspiration from them. Uh, but participating in game jams is good in a way that you have a deadline. It's not like you will try to build your um, dream project for 10 years or infinity. Uh, if you have a deadline, you have to release something. And people always complain that, oh, it's it's not perfect. It's I haven't implemented this, this, and that. And this aspect sucks. Mm -hmm. but, um, but eventually, they are winning the competition. Uh, because uh, other people liked the game, liked the concept, liked, liked the prototype of something that could become a full game released afterwards on Steam and make millions of dollars. Uh, so if you treat it as a, as a playground, um, building some prototypes and experiments and releasing them on time, uh, you will be fine. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be big. It has to be small. Uh, you can't build big things from the from the start. Uh, you have to start small. Yeah, I love that because I, I hear it all the time about people that want to, you know, start a business, make a game, make a website, make an app, you know, whatever it is. They've got the next, you know, big idea. It might be a great idea, but the reality is, like you've, you know, alluded to, if you don't actually have a go and actually do it you'll never do it it sounds obvious but so many people get into get stuck into the mindset of 
you know, I've got the idea. That's the main thing. And like, they, then they like a lot. And I'm sure you've come across it where they'll be non-technical and they think they've done the most important part and they just want somebody technical to basically work with them. They don't want to pay them. They just want them to basically partner up. The technical person is going to do the code because in their eyes, they've done the hard bit. They just need to write some code now and, you know, make it work. But, you know, six, 12 months, you know, working on it. And, you know, it's all going to be, you know, successful. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the hard truth is ideas are cheap. I mean, there there are uh, games, I mean, there are cases in which someone literally went to a cave for 10 years and built uh, Super Meat Boy or Fez or other revolutionary games, but it's like not even 1%, like you know it's it's a lot less yeah. and that's not viable in a way that that's okay you person. you can you can you can try this but like not for 10 years and usually so this is definitely not the way uh you should go um this is definitely not recommended this can happen but i would even say this is an anomaly and it's not healthy to try to follow this uh, of course, I admire those people. They committed a lot. Uh, they committed more than they should uh, sometimes. Um, but ideas are cheap. And uh, if someone is coming with a brilliant idea to a developer, uh, the developer, if he's rude enough, he will say, hey, I have like 100 ideas in my sketchbook that I don't have time to implement. And, um, or I had those similar ideas many times, many years ago. Uh, So, okay, it's nice to have a good idea, but uh, the main thing is how you implement it. And um, it's almost never, it's almost always the compromise between the perfect idea and the way how it is implemented. And it's quite popular for uh, graphic designers when they start, they want to draw something uh, beautiful and they start drawing and it's like ugly. And there is this bias between what they want to create and what they can create. That's why it's super important to train those skills and um, repeat, train, uh, draw and, and, and do everything to improve the skill because um, after three, five, ten games, years, your skill will be a lot higher, but it will still not be uh, perfect in a way that um, you won't bring that perfect idea to life. There's There are always compromises. Uh, there are always delays. There are always things that won't work. Uh, and it's important to to let go. That's that's the lesson for uh, forty eight uh, last hours in the competition before the deadline. Things don't work. Uh, you have bugs. Um, you have to do something for this to be decent enough to be playable. And that's the the important lesson to 
let go at some point and call it okay so this is the prototype this is the version 0.1 this is playable maybe people will enjoy it i have a full list of things i might add later on if i have the time if i have energy uh, if people like the concept uh, you can always work on the next iteration or the next version or the full version uh, but releasing something uh, is crucial and you have to remember that there are plenty of ideas multiple people have ideas uh, if they don't have they can just copy something it, it's 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 sometimes it's funny to learn that some games that seem to be revolutionary and they are that the authors are saying oh well i looked at this game and i mixed it with the other and it just came out naturally and that's it yeah, it, it doesn't happen that way. And even those examples, like Super Meat Boy fairs that you, you know, you use and that they, you know, spent years making, a, you know, a game and it worked out. One, it's so rare and there are so many other things that could, you know, work out, you know, for you. The second thing is each one of those guys, as far as I'm aware, it was not their first game. Like, they were already developers. They were already game developers and same with Notch as well. They already knew how to code, and they obviously improved throughout that process. But there's so many people that, again, I'm sure you come across that have no experience at all. And it's like those examples—they're not even relatable because they have experience. They were good, and they just happened to, when they were good, focus on a project that may have morphed a bit. And then it happened to, you know, have been successful, uh, you know, partly skill, partly luck, partly timing, you know, all of that, you know, side of it. But the reality is, it's probably not going to happen, statistically speaking. And again, the other thing you've got to remember is a lot of people feel like they don't want to have this open conversation. Like, why do you want to pursue the idea that you have in your head? If it is 100% purely money, nothing wrong with that, but understand that you could pursue the idea for five years or a year or however long and you'll probably fizzle to nothing if you're happy with that uh, you know outcome and you really just actually want to make the product and hopefully make a you know a shit ton of money as well that's fine but if you 100% only want to make money and you don't actually care about spending 12 months on the product because you think oh there'll be a fun thing for me to make I really want to maybe play it or, you know, that's a you know an app that I could actually benefit from. I have friends that could benefit from it. Then you're going to be very disappointed at the end because the amount of people I've come across, they'll come to me, I've got this idea and I'll, I'll you know, like you said, I'll literally turn it down, you know, say, you know, I've got a bunch of other ideas. I don't have time to do mine. I'm just, you know, busy. I just put my hands on. It's like, I'm just too busy right now. I'm like, if you're willing to pay, we can maybe talk. Otherwise, here's some, you know, options of, cheaper people that you can hire but you're probably gonna have to spend some money i'll speak to them 12 to 18 months later and i'll ask them how is that project going and they're like oh yeah no i haven't really you know i haven't done anything beyond that first meeting because they had that one rejection because somebody didn't do it you know uh, you know for free if the idea is so amazing uh, and so groundbreaking and revolutionary why would one rejection or two rejections make you not do it and like you said ideas are cheap you know the you know the graveyard of entrepreneurship is filled with ideas that never happened like right now i can give you an idea that is one of the best ideas in you know human history the cure to cancer 
it, like if I said to you, <laughs> my idea is for there to be a pill, you take it once a year, you never get cancer. If you have cancer, you get cured and there's no side effects. Would you say on the surface that is a good or bad idea? That's perfect idea. Exactly. But uh, it, who's going to make that? And do I have the technical skills and knowledge to make it? No. Does anyone on the planet? Probably not. Uh, but it, as an idea... It's one of the best ideas. <laughs> yeah, and I can I can tell that uh, so many developers have like literal graveyards of ideas that they started but never finish and then jump into something new. And <clears throat> if you if you build games, if you released five to ten games, for example, and you have a uh, hundred ideas behind that you left that's not a big list um, because it's like um, so few uh, projects are actually being finished and released and you have this burden of like those were cool ideas of course not all of them uh, but still and um, and the thing you said earlier about um, Super Meat Boy and first uh, developers having experience building games earlier that's also crucial because I think it's people heard about uh, Super Meat Boy or Fez or anything else and are like oh that that is an overnight success they 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 immediately are famous now um, and there's no insight into how many years uh, they spend building other things. And I immediately recall an example with uh, Rovio, uh, the authors of um, Angry Birds. And it's like, oh, they uh, figured out a, a game, got lucky, and then it's a multi-million dollar business. Uh, but they literally built 40 games before they made um, Angry Birds. So it was years of building different games, failing with all of them, almost going bankrupt, uh, living in a basement, uh, um, borrowing money to, to keep going. And then they made the 41st game. It was, it was this one. It, uh, it was a success, but it, it's still... In, in many discussions, it's like, oh, they came out of nothing. They made a game and now it's worth millions or, or billions of dollars. Uh, so there is a whole backstory uh, to every single developer. They Their struggles, uh, their good things and bad things happening to them. Uh, and you always have to remember about that. And I guess uh, either Fez or Super Meat Boy developers didn't build the games because they wanted to earn a lot of money. It was because they wanted to build something they wanted to have. Um, they wanted to release this. Uh, they, they had this idea and, and they really um, stuck to it and, and, and uh, focused all the time and energy uh, on bringing them to life. And then it coincidentally also was good enough for others to pick up um, and buy. And that's why they get uh, um, rich and famous. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an anomaly in a way that uh, you should start small, you should release small games, you should learn... Uh, every single game will teach you something. And then after those many games, you can try to build something a, lot, a, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. 
uh, and and grow over time steadily. Oh yeah, like it, it, it's definitely something you know. Like you said at the start when we were talking about this, if you want to become a game developer, become a game developer. Like start making something. And my recommendation is always, like you said, pick up a clone. Like pick up Pong and kick, like can you you know get Pong, which is I guess the simplest game you know you know ever made. I, I, I guess there's, there's some hyper casual games that are simpler now, but you know Pong's a classic. Can you? From playing Pong online, can you make it so it feels exactly and looks exactly the same, you know, on your own? If you can do that, okay, R- release that. Again, this, this is another thing that I've come across, even with developers that are good, is they think that the making, uh, and maybe the idea, but the making and the idea is the, is the main part. And I'm like, there's so much more to it. There's the setting up of, you know, like your environment. Like, I've come across that before where you're, True, like people just don't understand sometimes setting up your development environment for a particular game framework or engine that can take a bit of time and hassle and then it can just suddenly start breaking with a new version update for example and then once you've made the game testing it getting it to a point that is deployable like actually releasing it online on the app especially on the app store if you want to go and you know via apple and even Google, they have certain requirements. You have to have, you know, your file zipped in a certain way. It has to have, you know, certain icons, and they have to be a certain, you know, resolution, certain pixel density. You know, they have to follow a certain naming format. This changes over time as well, and the requirements change, and the API guidelines change. There's so much more to making a game and releasing it than just making the game uh, and getting it through the approval process. Literally, if somebody says to me, you know, I can code and I've got an idea or I've made a game versus somebody that says, okay, I've made a Brick Breaker clone or a Pong clone. I've added a bit of a twist on it as well, but I've done it from scratch from the start all the way to putting it on the App Store and releasing updates. I'll be like, I'm more impressed by the Pong Brick Breaker guy because there's so much to, you know, actually putting it out there and the hassles of non-technical stuff, you know, the stuff that make, you know just makes you scratch your head because sometimes you don't have control over it. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember um, at some point I was helping with some recruitments and um, uh, I remember having a discussion that I would really, I, I, I would prefer to hire someone who made a few uh, simple games and release them. Uh, than someone that is sitting in the basement for three years building an MMORPG, but it's still not finished. You can't even play it because it's just one pile of code. It, it's it's brilliantly written. There are so many lines of code. Uh, it was optimized so many times that, uh, uh, in theory, it runs perfectly well, but it's still hidden in the basement. And I really prefer someone who release things and is accustomed with finishing tasks, finishing projects, releasing them, moving to, to the next ones, um, and um, and like completing the the job. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. You know, being able to you know do that is it, it's the same thing as you know saying. I went to university, but then missing out the fact that you never finished. Like, it's a lot more impressive if you go to university, do all of it, get a good grade, do some good projects, have good feedback, and then finish it compared to just doing half of it. 
Like nobody, nobody, you know, stands there and says, okay, that person just did half of their university or the college degree. And that's impressive. Obviously, I know people talk about dropout, dropouts and they're successful like Mark Zuckerberg. Said, I'm not talking about that. I'm literally talking about just doing half a degree. No, nobody talks about that because that's nothing to, you know, praise. Whereas people will talk about, oh, I've got an idea or I've just got the technical part, you know, nailed, but there's so much more to it. There's so much more to, like, making a game. Yeah. So, you know, as we're wrapping up this, you know, podcast, you know, what I would like to do is a, you know, rapid fire fun questions. It's just a you know, bit of fun to, you know, tone it down and, a, you know, a little bit of fun for the audience as well. So are you ready for that? Um, no, but let's try. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one, it, would you rather run a 10 person company or a 1000 person company and why? Um, definitely one <clears throat> instead of 10 because I'm not good at managing people. Uh, I prefer doing things on my own. Uh, and I'm, I was always afraid that Enclave games with employees would become like my job would be looking at people, looking at their screens over the shoulder to, to make sure they are doing what I would like to have them doing and it would be about managing people instead of um, doing what I like, which is coding. That's why, um, of course, it's not like I'm, I'm coding all the time because the, the competition takes a lot of time to organize. But um, Enclave Games started in 2012-ish with uh, me um, full-time and uh, my wife um partially um doing some tasks and it stayed that way i haven't uh, got anyone into the the company beside of course the, my daughter as a tester uh, but we pay her in sweets um mm-hmm. but um yeah <laughs> uh but yeah it's 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 not a company i want to grow it's a thing that i do myself and i enjoy doing that because i have full control over what's happening i don't have to worry the expense is low uh, that's why all the income is in plus. So it's not like I have to worry that I have to pay 10 different people their salaries and if I will manage to earn that or not, if I will have to fire them even though they are good people. So um, running a company is definitely not my thing. I was I was asked about it and I was laughing that, okay, I could run a company in a way that I would hire someone who would then hire people and manage them. And I could sit there and just watch at, at the numbers grow. Um, but running a company uh, versus... I, I, I'd like to be lower. I'd like to code my own game and I'd like to organize my own competition. Okay, fair enough. The smaller, the better. So, you know, would you rather have half a million dollars a year for the rest of your life or $5 million up front? US dollars. Uh, that's tempting because I know a bit about investing, so I would totally know what to do with that five million. Uh, so I would definitely. So if I if I would go for five, uh, I wouldn't spend it um, or um, on anything stupid. Um, but given the 
five millions would be there after 10 years of collecting uh, half a mil every year. Uh, and then it would still be half a mil every year. While I don't think I have a good enough skill to turn five millions into half a mil after 10 years, <laughs> then I guess I would go for the half a mil every year because that would be like a safe bet. Like um, um, not worrying about earning money. And that would be more than enough for all the expenses, uh, for living comfortably, uh, really good. Um, and then those extra money putting uh, to work as well. Uh, but like not worrying about earning money, which is basically the thing with the competition that I have to find sponsors uh, because this covers the expenses of my family. Uh, this could be sometimes difficult. Uh, so yeah, definitely half a mil and having this, uh, you know, safe uh, situation in which I wouldn't have to worry about anything. I would probably do the same, but not focus too much on the sponsorships anymore. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I've, we already covered favorite video game. So what's your favorite movie and favorite board game? Um, so about the movie, um, so I like science fiction in general. I would say the classic uh, Matrix. Uh, but like the, the science fiction uh, movies in general, it's not like Matrix is like, I, I'm not saying it's, it's the best movie ever. Uh, it just came to my, to my mind as the first one uh, I do enjoy. Uh, science fiction movies in general, even those, let's say, lower quality. Uh, some some of them are uh, really good in in some way as well. And the game, uh, the the board game is easy because uh, Neuroshima Hex, which is a Polish game, um, and coincidentally, I'm running the biggest fan site about it. Um, since like 2010 and I'm playing the game since 2006 or 7 uh, so I I'm obviously biased but uh, I really enjoy the game um, and um, running the, the, the fun uh, site and, and the whole community um, is really cool because I can be close with, uh, with the developers they are releasing uh, new add-ons with armies uh, every year, so it's still active, um, and I highly recommend um, playing Neuroshima Hex. I'm I'm waiting for the right time for my daughter <laughs> to mm -hmm. start teaching her, but it's still about post-apocalyptic armies fighting with each other, so it's not that level yet. Um, I'm I'm pretty happy. I convinced I, I I got her into starting learning chess, uh, which is complicated on its own already. Um, but Neuroshima Hex is there and waiting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I haven't played you know that, but I would definitely 
Now check that out. And no, final question, two-parter. Does money buy you happiness? And what does a good life mean to you? Um, money does help with being happy, definitely. Uh, I remember the joke that um, saying that money don't, doesn't buy you uh, happiness is like uh, rich people telling this lie to poor people so they don't revolt. Um, so it, it definitely help. Of course, it's not 100% money and someone with like severe depression will automatically be cured uh, because of that. Uh, but in most of the cases, it will help. Uh, so definitely it can help buy you happiness. Definitely. Uh, there is a joke that you can't find uh, people crying in a Ferrari. You can after the Formula One races recently but uh but yeah and uh, the second part is uh well having enough money to focus on doing what you like to do uh the most uh not worrying about much and being able to to work on your own stuff and being able to spend your time with the family uh and yeah, just enjoying working and enjoying having a free time as well. I mean, I totally agree. You know, you know, having some fun that you work on makes money. They can have time, you know, have a family, have friends, have those relationships. Then, you know, being able to enjoy life. I feel like that's something as you grow up, you're more likely to appreciate that way of life compared to when you're younger. You are more likely, if you are work-oriented, to be like, work, 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 nothing else matters. But then you realize there's so much more to it, you know, than that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, There are, like, so many cases of people, me included, that at some point realize that you can't work 80 hours a week. It's impossible and it's just too much and it's destroying your own health and relations and everything else. And you have to have some limit. If if you're working a full-time job, you just leave a work at, at 5 p.m. Uh, if you work on your own, it's more difficult. You have to set your own boundaries. You have to learn to not work over the weekends or in the evenings because uh, even though you will have more time in in theory um, your productivity will go down um, you will be not happy with what you do so the balance is is kind of important so uh, yeah 100% key so I just want to thank you Anjay for coming on the podcast today it was really insightful, really cool uh, to you know have you on after JS13K. Obviously, for anyone that's you know listening, definitely check out JS13K and everything else that RJ is you know doing. I was an expert, uh, you know, one of the experts on the panel for you know you know reviewing the games. Appreciate the opportunity to do that, and I look forward to doing it again in the future as well. So, RJ, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Awesome! Uh, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this, and uh, yeah, thanks so much. And thank you everyone else for listening. I'll see you in next week's episode of 5F. Bye-bye.